Nobody loves to wheel and deal on draft weekend like John Schneider, but is there more than meets the eye when it comes to his draft weekend tactics? Rob Rang and I are going to be breaking it down on the latest offering of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Thursday episode, it's my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. we got a jam-packed episode coming your way. We're going to continue our free agency primer series at the tight end position with Will Disley. And we're going to be checking out what changes may be on the horizon for the Seahawks with their cornerback group as they adjust their scheme towards more man coverage. Now for your lead story here on our Thursday edition of Locked on Seahawks. Over the years, John Schneider has rightfully earned the reputation as one of the great draft weekend trade artists in the NFL, particularly trading down. We've seen him countless seasons, whether they had a pick in the first round or it was early second round, maneuvering the draft board and trading down. According to Pro Football Focus, a chart that was released today, John Schneider has traded down 19 times since 2011 among the top three in the NFL. No surprise, the only uh, only executive in, ahead of him is Bill Belichick. And we know that the Patriots like to wheel and deal as well. So John Schneider has been as willing to trade down as any executive in the NFL. But there may be more than meets the eye when it comes to his trade tactics, Rob, because as much as he adores trading down, you and I... I think we were both shell-shocked by this when we looked at the data today, but John Schneider is also one of the most likely executives in the NFL to trade up, and he has been extremely effective when he has done so. Yeah, and that's the thing, Corbin, is that uh, he has traded up more times than, than people might think, and when he has done so, he's been very uh, effective uh, in, in that aggression. And I think that this is a, a unique draft class that that actually offers uh, the Seahawks a, a great deal of opportunity in, in doing so. We, we have been basically kind of, you know, uh, hammering at the table, basically saying that Seattle has to be aggressive in free agency. But I do think that those those uh, the salary cap dollars are going to wind up being used pretty quickly if Seattle winds up bringing back some of their free agents from their own team. Um, but at the same time, uh, and when it comes to the draft, I think that this draft class sets up pretty well uh, for the Seahawks needs. And we've talked before about how, how Seattle needs to have help at the cornerback position. They need to have help at the edge rusher position. I would argue those are the two strongest positions in this year's draft class. And, and maybe you'll be able to get a really good football player at number 41 overall. But at the same time, you can, might be able to get a special player. If, if you trade back up into the first round and the fact that there is not a lot of really exciting quarterbacks this year, I think that there could be some teams in the mid and late portions of the first round who are a little bit more willing to wheel and deal and not expect, you know, just a, a, a whole bunch of picks in return for that. And, and so I think that this is one of those draft classes, Corbin, that's a little bit unique. It could be one and it's a little bit of a seller's market. Um, and, and, 
in that, or excuse me, a buyer's market. And Seattle might be willing to kind of buy and move up a little bit, whereas most draft classes are the seller's market. And we saw just this past year what the, the huge price that the San Francisco 49ers uh, you know, paid to to move up to get Trey Lance. And then they wound up starting Jimmy Garoppolo the entire time went to the NFC Championship game. You know, I think that this year is a little bit different in that regard, that the Seahawks might be one of those teams who might be able to really, truly exploit um, the fact that there is not a lot of great quarterbacks in this year's draft class, might be able to move up. And as some of the data that was just released that you were referencing before suggests, John Schneider has been willing to do that more often uh, in the past than I think that the national consensus would suggest. And when he has done so, he has been very effective. Yeah, you look back at the past, going back to 2015, John Schneider has traded up seven times, and I'll dive into the numbers here real quick, but he has selected three all-pro players with those draft choices. He's picked two other players that are starters, one in Daryl Taylor that has Pro Bowl, maybe even all-pro potential as a ceiling Really, the only trade that he made moving up that right now there's a big question mark on in terms of value was when they traded up for Stone Forsythe, and that was moving up in the sixth round. It's not like that was a day two or day one trade up where they had to give up a whole bunch. All that he had to do was give up an extra seventh rounder to move up seven spots to get Stone Forsythe, and Forsythe could still end up being a starter down the line. That's just not where he's at at this stage of his career. But certainly that is something we'll monitor as time goes on. But 2015, Tyler Lockett, John Schneider traded four draft picks to the Washington Commanders to get pick number 65 in the third round to draft Tyler Lockett. I think that was a pretty good investment, getting a perennial 1,000-yard receiver and all-pro as a kick returner coming into the league, immediately paid dividends. The next season they traded up. In the second round to get Jaron Reed, added a fourth-round pick with their second-rounder to move up to get him. Jaron Reed had five very productive seasons as a starter at defensive tackle. A few years later, in 2019, the Seahawks traded up to get DK Metcalf. Patriots had that, had that pick at number 64. Metcalf's got over 3,000 receiving yards and almost 30 receiving touchdowns in his first three seasons think that that was a pretty good investment, just giving up a third and fourth rounder to move up to that position in that same draft. They traded up a few spots in the third round to get Cody Barton, just swapped fifth and sixth rounders with the Vikings. He has been a solid core special teams player. To me, it was worth the trade moving up to get him. He could still potentially be a starter down the line for you as well. Still a very young player. And then, as I mentioned, Daryl Taylor, most recently being a player that they traded up to acquire from the New York Jets, moved up 11 picks in the second round, had six and a half sacks last year. So more times than not, really the vast majority of the time that John Schneider has traded up, he has hit gold. They've been able to bring in all pro caliber players, whereas when he's traded down a bunch of times, they've ended up with players like Malik McDowell or having two first rounders in the spot they stay at, they get LJ Collier. That tactic has not worked for them at all over the years. They've had a few instances where it did. They traded down three picks and still got Bruce Irvin in 2012, for example. But most of the time that they have traded down, they've ended up with players like Malik McDowell or Christian Michael that simply didn't pan out or didn't play any snaps for them at all. So this year, without that first-round pick and having a second-rounder that's early in the second round, something they have not had because they've consistently been a playoff team, 
like the free agency approach, this seems like the year that John Schneider's got to look at the date and be like, you know what? I'm better when I am swinging for the fences moving up than trying to recoup picks. This whole quantity over quality thing is very evident to me that their best picks have been when they've been willing to bunch package picks together and move up so they can get really talented football players. And so maybe he needs to adopt the Mickey Loomis model in New Orleans and say, you know what? I'm done with the trading down. I don't care if I make four or five picks. My four or five picks are going to be damn good selections. And he's had good luck doing that. He, he has had good luck doing that. And I would argue that, uh, you know, the Seattle's draft last year and the, and the fact that they had the, the undrafted free agency success that they have had so many years in the past that, that just kind of continued again, um, you know, th- this past season, of, of course, when you have at the, um, you know, at the, at the right tackle position, and, you know, they, they were able um, to, to get the, the, the player that they got the, at the linebacker position, uh, they were able to get the player that they got, um, you know, that, that just kind of speaks to the success of the, the, the ability of Seattle scouts to be able to, evaluate talent but sure if you are in a position now to be able to to move up from number 41 overall which is seattle's current number one uh you know or their first draft pick this year and be able to get a guy in the late 20s then i think that 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 might make some sense this year again it's a it's a kind of a unique year this year corbin so i i do think that all this aggression that you are hearing that you know people like us say that seattle needs to show this year everybody is kind of focusing on free agency and with the NFL scouting combine starting up this next week, I think that the, our attention does need to start kind of focusing towards the draft. Certainly John Schneider's focus has always been on the draft. And I do think that this is one of those unique years and where Seattle might be able to kind of move forward and be able to really take advantage of this draft class. And, and so I, I'm intrigued by that. There's not very many players that Seattle has invested early draft picks in that haven't either been successful in Seattle or gone elsewhere and been successful. So that's one of the reasons why I am full bore thinking that the Seahawks will continue to hit the same home runs that they had, as I mentioned before, with, with Jake Curran and or a reference before with Jake Curran and John Radican, that they will continue to be successful with those late round picks. If they hit a couple of these early round picks this year, as I expect them to do, perhaps even in the first round, then I do think that this is the 2022 draft class that the Seahawks need to get back up to the top of the NFC West. It would really change the narrative and really the numbers that we went through. John Schneider being tied for the third most trade-up since 2011. That should change the narrative for everybody that jokes, and you and I have been guilty of it, joking about John Schneider always trading down. He's clearly been equally as aggressive and has enjoyed trading up over the years just as much. Maybe this year, come off a 7-10 season with this draft class, six picks to work with. If he has a player that he really wants in the late 20s, end of the first round, even early second round that he feels he can't get at 41, might roll the dice and move up again and try to get another impact player like a DK Metcalf or a Jaron Reed that he's been able to acquire in recent seasons. We're going to continue our free agency primers here in a moment, going to the tight end position with Will Disley. Will he be back? Or will he be out of town in 2022? Football might be over for this season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props, to where the next fired coach is going to land, betonline.net is the number one spot for all of your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, UFC, 
maybe baseball down the line. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action. Bet online where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Thursday edition. I'm Corbin Smith. Joining me, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Make sure to check out the Locked On NFL podcast as well. They're kicking out great coverage year-round on all major platforms, so make sure to download wherever you listen to your podcast. Continuing our free agency primer series, we're going back to the tight end position. We've already covered Gerald Everett in an earlier episode. We've looked at Sidney Jones and Al Woods earlier this week. Will Disley obviously has been a fan favorite coming from the University of Washington, a kid that has been here for a long time in the Pacific Northwest, moved from the defensive line to tight end during his college career, a fourth-round pick for the Seahawks, overcame incredible adversity his first two seasons with a torn patellar tendon as a rookie that cost him 12 games, and then an Achilles injury that cost him 10 games in his second season. So two injuries that have derailed many a career, and yet both times. He was able to battle his way back and return to form and be a valuable contributor for the Seahawks. Let's talk about his future in Seattle because I'm under the viewpoint going into this free agency period that tight end is one of the better position groups in this free agent class. We've talked about how saturated this group is. You've got players like O.J. Howard that are going to be out there. Mo Alley-Cox I think is one of the more underrated tight ends in football, former VCU basketball star. It's possible that Mike Giusecki will be out there from the Miami Dolphins. And there are a number of other tight ends in this class that are really good. Gerald Everett as well, as we've talked about. So it might be difficult for Will Disley to get much more than a one-year deal around league minimum because he hasn't put up big numbers as a receiver the last couple of years. He's more of a in-the-trenches, do-the-dirty-work style tight end. That may benefit the Seahawks, and I think he wants to stay here since he's been here since college. This seems like this could be a mutual arrangement. But at the same time, you've got that talent in the free agent market. you got a good draft class of the tight end position coming in. So I don't know that anything is set in stone in regard to him being back in 2022. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I don't think it's set in stone, but I also would agree with you in that. I, I think that it's likely that, that Will Disley is, is brought back. I think that there is going to be some interest on his side uh, to return to the Pacific Northwest. As you mentioned, I mean, that that's where his, uh, you know, he, he his, uh, background lies. Um, and then I, I think that he is a, a favorite, not only of the fans, but of the, the Seahawks scouting and, and coaching staff. Um, you know, I, again, I, I remember, uh, you know, evaluating Will Disley at that University of Washington Pro Day, watching John Schneider over there, watching some of their, their, their top scouts and just listening to the silence, the beauty that was Will Disley catching footballs. And there's not defensive linemen out there who are supposed to be able to catch the ball and have it just, you know, quietly drop into their hands. Usually it kind of slaps against their hands because they, they don't know how to catch the football. They usually almost catch the ball like this rather than Hard leather hands. out. Exactly. And, and Will Disley show those natural hands that you just don't expect. And he certainly is a, a big physical man. He is, has that sneaky kind of speed. We, we've seen some of the big plays that he's made over his career. But the fact that this is a good free agent class, as you um, you know mentioned, this is a good draft class at, at tight end. It's not a draft class that's, that has a, a great deal of high upside guys, guys that I expect to go in the first round like Kyle Pitts a year ago. 
but there are going to be a number of tight ends who are going to go in the late portion of day two and all throughout day three that I think are really good football players. They just aren't special athletes. And I think that is all the more reason why Seattle might stick with their guy in Will Disley, who also is not a special athlete. He's just a damn good football player. He's shown his heart and coming back from multiple injuries. He is a good blocker. I, I think that Will Disley is very likely to come back to the Seahawks and very likely to be able to be retained on a pretty palatable uh, contract. All the more reason why you'd like to have a guy like, quote unquote, Uncle Will come back because of just who he is as a football player on and off of the field and the fact that he fits in with, with what this club likes to do. They like to have some versatility at that tight end position. Yeah, they want to have a grinder in the trenches that can play in line, and we've seen them try to do that with players that that isn't a strength. Jimmy Graham, anyone? Maybe Colby <laughs> Parkinson now on the roster? But Will Disley, his defensive tackle background – it's natural for him to go out and block defensive ends, and he's very good at it. He had the ninth highest blocking grade in the run blocking department in the NFL for pro football focus last year among tight ends. He's consistently been one of the higher graded tight ends in that department, and you can see his impact on the field. He did miss a couple of games late in the year, so you can't necessarily give him all the credit for helping open up run lanes for a shot penny, but in the games that he did play, he certainly played a role in that from a blocking standpoint. And you look back at the numbers he had his first two years, and this is still a young tight end in Will Disley. Coming back from those injuries, his rookie season, he had eight catches for like 160-something yards and just came out of nowhere in four games, was one of their best receivers, and immediately had rapport with Russell Wilson. Gets that knee injury, comes back from that brutal patellar tendon surgery, comes back the next year, and he's again having a fantastic season. It cut short after six games. He had almost 450 receiving yards in 10 games his first two years. He has not been near as efficient in the passing game the last couple of years. He just hasn't been involved. It hasn't been his fault. He's had a catch rate above 80% each of the last two years. He just isn't getting opportunities. Some of that is the arrival of DK Metcalf. Last year, having Gerald Everett in the roster, there's only so many footballs to go around. But in the red zone, the lack of touches, just one touchdown last season, that has been my big concern with him the last few years. And I don't think a lot of it's his fault. I would love to see Shane Waldron find ways to get all those tight ends involved more in the passing game. It just hasn't worked out for Disley. And maybe that helps the Seahawks again, get him back at a cheaper price and afford to bring him back on a one or two year deal. And for that reason, I would project that he will be back next year. I think Seattle is going to go status quo at tight end because they can bring back Everett and Disley at affordable prices with this being a saturated free agent class, a good draft class as well. Maybe they will draft a tight end too. That's certainly a possibility, but I expect Disley to be back next season in large part because he's going to be affordable and he checks off a lot of the boxes the Seahawks are looking for. Other teams might be looking for that tight end that can stretch the field. Will Disley isn't necessarily that guy, though he's shown at times he's capable and he surprises you. He's good at moving the chains when he's involved in the passing game. He's a stout run blocker. The Seahawks love to run the football. They're going to get back to doing that next year. So that's the big reason I think he's back next season. 
I, I agree. Uh, but again, I, I think that uh, you know, the durability issue is a concern. It's kind of like we talked about a couple of days ago, Corbin, with, with Al Woods, and the age uh, was, was a huge concern. You don't want to pay for what the player did last year. You want to pay for what they're going to bring you this upcoming season. And, and so I don't think that there's going to be a lot of NFL teams who are going to be willing to shell out big bucks for Will Disley, even though you can make an argument. If you just look at his statistics and the fact that he does have you know pretty impressive yards after the catch and you know some big plays early in his NFL career but the lack of durability is disturbing and and this is a good uh you know tight end class I would be stunned if Seattle decided to go outside of the box and go with a free agent Mike Gusecki is the one guy that I think I've been really intrigued by with Seattle for a long long time but other than that and he plays a completely different type of role than than Will Disley does I I think the Seattle already has that guy with Kobe Parkinson but with with Will Disley I don't think he's going to get a great deal of interest on the free agent market and so that's why I think that Seattle is going to be able to bring him back on a relatively cheap uh, contract, and that's part of the reason why you are uh, likely to to bring him back is just because that he is not going to command that much, and that's not going to do that much damage to your uh, to your salary cap. So I would I do expect Will Disley to come back to the Seahawks, um, and I think that that's just going to make Seattle's tight end room that much stronger. Yeah, I just think this is a position group, and you could make an argument countering this. Well, if there's so many good free agents and it's a good draft class, then why not go into that pool? But I, I still like this tight end group. I don't think they have been used as effectively as they should have been the last couple of years. And whether that's on the coordinators or whether that's on Russell Wilson or on everybody that's involved in that capacity, they just the tight ends have not been involved the way that I hoped they would be in the passing game. I'm hoping in year two with Shane Waldron, you see that ramped up some because they have a good group and Will Disley is one of those guys. We know he's capable of being a good receiver. You have to get him involved more somehow. I think that they like this player enough. They respect his work ethic, his grind coming back from injury. They're going to want him back in that locker room. He's respected by teammates, by coaches. So again, not that I would be stunned if he's not back, but I would be surprised. I expect that he will be back for a fifth season with the Seahawks. We're going to shift gear to the defensive side of the football now, Rob. Clint Hurt, the new defensive coordinator, has talked in the past week and a half on a number of different interviews with local media, local radio stations, about how he envisions this defense looking under his watch. And with Sean Desai and Carl Scott coming in as assistant coaches, leaning more towards a Vic Fangio-type scheme more blitzing, a more aggressive defense, less dropping defensive linemen into coverage, 3-4 structure. And then, of course, there's the man coverage element. To me, this is the biggest thing that jumped out, talking about adjustments schematically, because we have seen the Seahawks play more two-deep coverages. We have seen them be aggressive. A couple years ago, Ken Norton Jr. blitzed more, in part because Jamal Adams and the talent he brings to the table. And they weren't getting pass rush with their front four anyway. So let's bring five or six and let's try to get after QBs. We've seen those evolutions in their scheme the last couple of years, but they were 31st in the league last year in cover one usage, according to True Media. And so they don't like playing man covers. That has not been their style. They like cover three. Historically under Pete Carroll, even with their two deep coverages, not a lot of man coverage out of those over the years so that would be a big change up and it requires a different style corner Richard Sherman and Byron Maxwell Brandon Brown or some of those bigger bodied long arm corners the Seahawks have preferred over the years as great as Richard Sherman is 
he thrived the way he did in part because the scheme was perfect for him. If you had him playing man coverage 50, 60% of the time, I don't think he has near the career in Seattle he did because it just doesn't fit his skill set. And so they're going to be looking at different corners. I think the good news, though, is they've already been doing that the last couple of years. And even if they want to stay in-house, I guess that's where we start this conversation. DJ Reed and Sidney Jones, the two free agents set to hit the market, they both have skill sets that really cater well to man coverage. They do. I mean, they, they have the loose hips. They have the the quick the the, the quick change of direction. Uh, they they have the the fluid acceleration. We're talking about two guys who are legitimate four four guys, um, and and so it is a completely different skill set. I mean, before we'd always been looking for Seahawks corners who are you know six foot six foot one six foot two. Um, you know those kind of long legged long arm guys who would just maul you at the point of attack, and that's just not the type of players that that Seattle has had success with here recently and part of that is because of a lack of pass rush part of that is because of the fact that the the nfl and the, the referees that they're just changing they just are calling the games differently now i mean you can't get through even a quarter of an nfl game anymore without having the you know several different drives that are impacted by someone throwing a yellow hanky on the field and, yeah. and so the fact that they have just completely changed how they're doing things then i think the seahawks have to adjust oh by the way you're playing against the the super bowl champions with the los angeles rams who have a wide receiver in cooper cup who just rewrote the record books basically having the the, the triple crown in the nfl you're going up against a, a team in the the, the Arizona Cardinals of Kyler Murray and in all the talent that they have at the wide receiver position, it's just a different game now than it was when uh, Pete Carroll first signed on to become the, the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. So yeah, I, I think that this is really going to be the, the, the most fascinating conversation we're going to have in the off season. I know everybody wants to talk about Russell Wilson. He might get traded. Come on, Let, let's focus in on what's more likely to happen at the corner, not the quarterback position, but the quarterback position. The fact that Seattle's two starting cornerbacks both played pretty damn well last year in DJ Reed and Sidney Jones. Is Seattle going to be able to retain those players, one or both? I think that they should make both of them a priority. DJ Reed's success uh, that, that he's had, the fact that he has been a more durable player throughout his college and NFL career, I think makes him the higher priority priority but at the same time i'm not so sure that seattle is going to be able to do so it's one of the reasons why in the mock draft that i have at fox sports right now I, I have seattle using that number 41 overall selection on another shorter twitchier instinctive cornerback and roger mccreary from auburn because i do think that that is the route that seattle is going to be taking here so you know, you saw it last year with DJ Reed, or excuse me, two years ago with DJ Reed and Sidney Jones this past year. The the selection of Trey Brown this past year, Seattle isn't waiting to make this transition with Clint Hurt, Sean Desai, Carl Scott, et cetera, et cetera. They've already made that transition. And to me, that is really what this comes down to is, is Seattle able to bring these guys back? And if not, I think that's going to be their new MO at CB is the shorter guys, the quicker guys. And I think there's a lot of them in this draft class, a lot of them in this free agent class. That's why, again, I think this sets up very, very nicely in 2022. Yeah, I think when, you know, all the discussions I've had with various sources that are associated with the team and know what the team's planning to do in free agency and where, you know, I've been told Quandre Diggs, those discussions are already ongoing. From what I've gathered, I can't 
100% confirm this, but I'm expecting they've had discussions with DJ Reed as well. The priority is keeping this secondary together. And so, you know, some might argue, how can you know these guys are good at man coverage? You've hardly played it. But DJ Reed last year, 13 targets gave up five receptions. Yeah, one of them was a touchdown, but that's less than a 50% completion rate. He has the athleticism, his physicality, his willingness to go up and press people, and then being able to recover because of his quickness those loose hips you mentioned, he has the physical tools to be a successful man corner. He had a 52% completion rate against him, according to Pro Football Focus, in 2020 in man coverage, and he was very effective in that capacity. Sidney Jones has had a bit more issue because he can be aggressive. He can be a gambler at times, and he can pay for that with big plays over the top. I felt like he grew some out of that late last year, though. We saw a, a, a corner that was really maturing in this defense and he's still only 26 years old you take a 68 yard catch he gave up against the rams in week five out of the equation and he also had really good numbers in man coverage a year ago he's done some nice things he has all the physical tools and the athleticism and the ball skills to be a successful man cover corner trey brown targeted three times not a big sample size obviously but no completions against him so they have the guys there if they just want to retain their secondary they have the guys to be good in man coverage I think we have to explore the other possibility here, though, because what if DJ Reed does get a big contract in free agency from somebody else? It's certainly possible. And, you know, maybe Sidney Jones, because he's a young player and he at one point was looked at as a first round talent. Maybe he gets some offers that are five, six million dollars and the Seahawks say, we don't want to go that expensive. They might want to look at some other free agent options, or maybe they are less optimistic about those guys in man coverage than you and I are from looking at the film, looking at the stats. This is a free agent group that could potentially, and I'm using that word in quotes here because players like J.C. Jackson probably get franchise tagged before they hit the free agent market, but it potentially could be a group that's got some firepower with some really good man cover corners. J.C. Jackson would obviously be the cream of the crop. 30 completions allowed on 62 targets a year ago. Looking at all the numbers here, Rob, five interceptions, nine pass breakups, and 89 grade in man coverage from pro football focus. He was easily the best man cover corner last year in the NFL. He's consistently been since entering the NFL, but you're going to have to pay a lot of money if he hits the free agent market. I don't see this being a position the Seahawks are going to splurge, especially given their very shaky track record signing veteran corners in free agency. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I do not expect Seattle to um, to allocate a whole bunch of their funds to a cornerback who did not play for the Seahawks last season. If, if they're going to spend a lot of money, then I think it's going to be in DJ Reed and Sidney Jones. And I do expect them both to get offers in the five to six million dollar range. I mean, as you mentioned, Corb, I mean, Sidney Jones was expected to be a first round pick. He was a first round pick and tore, until he tore his Achilles tendon, that exact same workout I referenced before with, uh, you know, with, with Will Disley being there and watching John Schneider and the Seahawks scouts um, you know, attend that workout, um, you know, and he still wound up going in the second round to the Philadelphia Eagles, even with that Achilles tear that basically ruined his rookie season. Um, you know, just a couple of the draft happening just a couple of months after he, he had that season ending injury. So NFL teams knew exactly what he was. DJ Reed is the biggest surprise. I mean, he's a fifth round pick and, and having the success that he's had previously in San Francisco and now with Seattle, uh, I think that he is a little bit more of a surprise. And I mentioned in that the fact that 
he was a day three selection because of the fact that uh, I think that that is the biggest evidence that the Seahawks fans need to be a little bit comforted by the fact that Pete Carroll is one of the best in all of the NFL when it comes to coaching up defensive backs, even from his head coaching position. The, the success of the Legion of Boom and all of the cornerbacks who have come since then, I think, speaks to that. The fact that John Schneider pulled off the heist that it was in bringing in DJ Reed from your divisional opponent, the San Francisco 49ers. You stole Quandre Diggs from the Detroit Lions in that trade i think again just kind of proves that the seahawks know what they're doing at the cornerback position we'll, we'll talk about this more as we go if seattle is going to allocate big time funds for a big time free agent i think it's going to be a pass rusher or perhaps a center um, you know maybe even a left tackle but i would be stunned if they wind yeah. up going for a guy like a jc jackson or somebody like that in free agency though i do think that those players are really good ones I think the more likely scenario is that they retain the players that are, you know, played for Seattle a year ago, or they go back to the drawing board with this NFL draft. I mean, the highest drafted cornerback of the Seahawks, you know, current regime, John Schneider and Pete Carroll was Shaq Griffin, um, a pro bowler who wound up going to Jacksonville Jaguars on a massive contract. I have great confidence in Seattle to be able to take advantage of this 2022 draft class, be able to get themselves a good young corner, just like they did a year ago with Trey Brown, um, because of the fact that they do know what they are doing. This draft cast is loaded at the cornerback position. If you fix the pass rush, you fix the secondary. It really is that simple. Yeah, I agree with you. There are some names that could be intriguing in free agency. Obviously, J.C. Jackson is a superstar, one of the best corners in the NFL. And like I said, I think he's the best man cover corner in the league. I don't think New England's going to let him hit the market no matter what. He's going to get franchise tagged. Too good of a player, perfect fit for their scheme. They're not going to let him get away. Uh, you have a player like, say, Stefan Gilmore, who's going to be 32, is still a good man cover corner, but he's had injuries, is still going to cost some money. I don't see Seattle going that route. One name that does kind of intrigue me a little bit is Charvarius Ward, who played for the Kansas City Chiefs the last four years, and he gave up 13 receptions on 34 targets in man coverage last year. He was one of the better man cover corners in the league, and he's 25 years old as well. But if J.C. Jackson doesn't hit the market, given his age, Ward might actually be the big money, uh, biggest money corner in this free agent class. I could see teams dishing out big bucks, like 12, 13, 14 million a year for Ward, even though he has not been a pro bowler or an all pro to this point. His numbers back up his skill set at that man cover corner position. And so I think there'd be a number of teams that would be throwing big cash at him. And even if J.C. Jackson is out there, Ward is going to get paid probably $9, $10 million minimum. So I'm with you. I think if the Seahawks are going to spend their money at the cornerback position, it's going to be on guys they're familiar with that they've already had in their scheme. They're still going to be using kick step technique, according to Clint Hurt. So that's not changing. They're going to want their guys back, or they're going to want to bring in some rookies. Maybe they mix it up. Maybe they bring back D.J. Reed and they draft a corner. Nothing's going to stop them from doing that if they want to add extra depth through this draft class. And so it's going to be very exciting to see what the Seahawks choose to do because this, to me, as I mentioned earlier, is the biggest schematic change that they are making defensively. We have already seen touches of 3-4 defense in Pete Carroll's defense dating back to his time at USC. We've already seen them blitz more some seasons. We have seen them already mix in more two-deep coverages the last couple of years. But man coverage, that has never been a big staple in Pete Carroll's defense. So if they do that this next season, 
that's going to be an adjustment. The good news is the type of corners they have been bringing in recently, philosophical changes in terms of athleticism, size, arm length, you name it. They actually are better set up to be able to have the personnel there re-signing a few of these guys to be successful running those man cover schemes. So it's going to be exciting to see how this plays out here over the next couple of months in free agency and the draft. Thanks as always for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now make your second listen to the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Ryan Tracy and former NFL quarterback Eric Crocker bring the NFL Draft to life every day with insight and analysis on college football prospects and NFL front offices. It's free and available wherever you get your podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked On Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and of course, five days a week, video streaming on YouTube. Coming up on our Blue Friday episode, I'll be rejoined by Nick Lee. The two of us are going to continue our division by division series, looking at the AFC South, which free agents from those four teams could be intriguing to the Seahawks as we approach the start of the new league year. Plus, we'll be answering your questions in our weekly mailbag. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. Go Hawks.